0: Everybody, I'm Jody Marks and welcome to Breaking It Down with Jody Marks, brought to you by P3 Theatre Company, where every week I sit down and talk with a new group of panelists who not only help educate us all, but also help give the black community a voice on topics and conversations that should have happened a long time ago. You can also watch the show live by going to P3 Theatre Company's Facebook Live every Wednesday at 630 Pacific Time, where if you have a question on the week's topic, we'll be happy to answer it. Now sit back, listen, and learn, because we're about to break it down. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Breaking It Down with Jody Marks. I can't believe we're already on episode three. We have an amazing panel for you tonight, and it's going to be a very, very good topic because we all need to talk about it, and our topic today is educating the next generation. So today we have Van Angelo, Shelly Ramey, and Lori Andrews. And they're just going to tell you a little bit about why they're here tonight because they all are amazing teachers and are just paving the way for young adults in our world. So the going to take it away.
1: Hi y'all, my name is Van Baum. Uh, I am a choral music educator located in the Inland Empire. I teach high school. I teach majority black and brown students, which is amazing for me uh, because I get to teach students that look like me. I also work as a part-time performer. So when I am not on stage, when I'm not in the classroom, I am on stage uh, sometimes with Miss Jody Marks. So um, I'm here to hopefully bring a little bit of me to this conversation, can't wait.
2: Hello everyone, I am Lori Andrews from Long Beach and I teach for the Long Beach Unified School District. Um, I teach high school and I've been teaching for 15 years um, after being a homeschool mom for about seven years. Um, I teach primarily Brown students and some lovely Caucasian students
3: as well and I am here to express my feelings and to listen. Yeah. Hi everyone, my name is Shelly Ramey. I have been teaching since 2007, so I guess I'm entering my 13th year. Um, I teach history at the eighth grade level uh, in South Los Angeles. I teach at a charter school in South Los Angeles. And so um, I'm very, very excited about where this discussion is gonna go and what we all have to say and any questions that, of course, you may have to bring to us.
0: So the first question I wanna ask you all is, what made you get into teaching?
3: Those are I I'll you know I'll since I was well, last to go first to or something there's a saying. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's somewhere there's a say um, there uh, I used to once upon a time I thought I was going to be an attorney uh, and uh, when I was doing my undergraduate uh, degree at, uh, and I was. Upset though, because I was a student advocate and I was upset when I saw that there were people being able to like cheat the system um, because they understood what the system was and it was just students doing it and like people who were accused of cheating but their dad called and they got you know excused from the you know the accusation and I realized that there were there's going to be a whole group of children and people who looked like me who didn't understand that that was the system that they were against it against and that they were gonna to have to deal with these um, these issues when they tried to enter into like, you know, academia and you know, interact with people who may not have been a part of their neighborhood. And and I just wanted to provide my students or just the kids I came in contact with like the tools that they would need, especially brown and you know, black kids and minority students actually in general, or minoritized students in general. Um, the ability to have the tools to make sure that they were successful in all the environments that they would come in contact with. Love that. Uh, I hate it.
1: I mean, long story short, I became an educator because I had a good educator in my life. Um, I had a really great choir director in high school who gave me a lot of opportunities to be a leader and to be in front of other people. Uh, And I found out in high school that I was really, really good at leading. I was good at being in charge. I was good at making the rules. Everybody had to follow my rules. It was really wonderful. Um, But then as I was getting ready to go into college, I realized a lot more that there aren't many people that do music education that look like me. And so I wanted to start hopefully filling in the gap a little bit and show, like I show my students now that like, hey, people that look like us get to do anything that we want to do, so.
2: Well, my story begins with me thinking that I wanted to be a college professor and um, looking for something to do while I was in graduate school. And that was me becoming uh, an instructional aide And um, doing that for just one year, I was sold. I was sold on going in the classroom. I just fell in love with the kids, literally just um, that I would love to be able to work with, especially the um, special ed um, students that I was working with. And so that's what um, I do. And um, basically just from jumping in with both feet, decided this is for me and the rest is history.
0: I love that because most of those students are so misunderstood. Yes. Some teachers just like, if they're in their class, they just like sit them aside and they're just like, go to a corner. Yeah. And, that and that's just heartbreaking.
2: And I didn't have that experience, but um, I think it's because of being around um, educators who were so good with those kids and seeing the small classroom size, I know was a part of it. And which is a part of the special education system. And just knowing if you can really develop good relationship with kids when the class sizes are small and that's what i did and then i just realized i didn't i never wanted to stop and so that was my next journey is going to get a teaching
0: credential and teaching i love that i i love that you all have different grades and you know what i mean and you're showing a person of color as a teacher because like looking back now that I realize my first, like diverse or just person of color in general was in college as a teacher. Like Mm. I had nobody to like look up to as like that, like figure that I could see myself as like Van says, like, you know what I mean? And I always felt like different. Like I definitely, I've been in a class, like I went to a Catholic school in first grade
1: Mm. where I
0: got slapped with a ruler and I was told to pick up my Mm. pencil, like the right way. And I was like, how do you pick up your pencil the right way? (laughs) And then also another black kid in my class got thrown like a marker and an eraser, like a chalkboard eraser. And we're the only people of color. And she's the only one, obviously this white teacher is like treating us this way. Mm -hmm. And like, from that point on, I always had like this in the back of my mind of when I saw a white teacher, like I got to act a a certain way. I can't like express myself or I have to like my like verbal skills were so different to them. And it's just Mm -hmm. different because I remember having my first, African American teacher and being so open with that person in college and never having that like vulnerability, I guess you would say, to be to say, "He, this is what I'm going through. Can you help me? Because you know what it what it's like." And I think that's awesome that you all have that ability to do that now with your students that are still coming into their own. And I just want to applaud you you all for that because I I love that. Thank you. So, a next question that I have is racism and discrimination have no place in schools or classrooms. So how can we make schools and classrooms a better environment for students?
1: It's such a hard question because there's so many things that have to be done to be changed. You know, but um, one of the first things, and it's funny that you mentioned that like you didn't have a black teacher, a teacher of color up until you were in college and you guys kind of understood each other. But that's one of the first things that I feel like is appropriate to start working on in schools is making sure that we have people that are teaching students that, look like the world that we want to see out there so i'm not saying all black teachers have to only teach black students more or less just like we want to make sure that we're diversifying our teaching pool so that way students are seeing more of what they're going to encounter out in the real world as opposed to only seeing majority white teachers and then they go out into a world that has plenty of beautiful colors in it you know Mm
3: -hmm. Mm -hmm. and just think about too like the fact that my students, because my 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 school is predominantly Latino, we're at probably about 98% Latino, but anytime I interact with my students or the, you know, we don't have a lot of Asian teachers at our school, but we have like maybe one, <laughs> but like the Asian teacher <laughs> interacts with the students or, you know, the white teachers interact with the students or, you know, the black male teacher interacts or a couple of black male teachers interact with the students. They're you know, we're becoming human beings. And I think that's kind of like a weird thing, you know, we're like, be, you know, usually we're caricatures, like we're just these fake entities, like, oh, the black people are these stereotypes or white people are these stereotypes or Asian people are these stereotypes. And I, you know, I'm t- constantly talking to the kids about, you know, you know, your teacher, who happens to be Asian, she rides for you. She's here every day. She's you know got your back. She's you know showing up when she doesn't have to, and that that builds it. That creates that 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 idea that you know, I'm they're just not that we're human beings that we have feelings, we have emotions. What you say has an effect. You know that was a nice my teacher. You know these are people too, and I and especially for my age because they're you know they're at that preteen early teenager age um, they need like real world examples and so having those real world examples with educators and then also with the teachers making sure that they check their own biases like okay Mm. if you think you know a black kid is going to do this like where's that coming from like what's the conversation that you're having with yourself before you yelled at a kid and told them to leave your classroom you know versus another student who may look you know different but and you treat that student differently because of what they look like so you know those are like real like reflective practices that we have to have as like individuals just to make sure that we are um you know both ways like the kids see people of color and that our students are and our teachers actually see people of color too like you know we get in our bubble as well but you now how do we expose ourselves to a lot of different groups to make sure that we're prepared for all those interactions
2: and i would add on to that i mean that's awesome i think you what you said definitely segues into what i believe has to become part of teacher education and pedagogy. Mm. And that's equity, intentional equity work, um, teaching teachers how to differentiate, um, not just instruction, but attention and, and to build relationships with students in the classroom and have it be something that they are comfortable with because they got trained to do it when they were still in school. So I know when people ask me that question, it has to be authentic, And it has to be real and it can't be um, paternalistic. And I'm speaking of, for instance, you know, I know in my district, it's been pretty clear that most of the the teachers are are Caucasian where we have about 70% of our students are Hispanic and around 12% are um, African-American and around 8%, you know, of um, Asian. And so. Um, and we have awesome Caucasian teachers. They want to know how. They just don't know how. And, I, and mm-hmm. when they ask me questions, I go, well, yeah, how are you supposed to know how if you, you haven't had a chance to have that be a part of your training as a teacher? And so I, I've, I'm big on um, districts, um, departments, just having equity training, professional development, where it's just a practice that this is what we're doing. This is how we're doing things for our district. And then it becomes more um, something that's just organic and real when the teachers are in the classroom, just as real as the content that they're teaching. So I I really believe in equity work and um, really being intentional about it. And I think that might create some of the change we're looking for.
0: And when you say equity work, like who should we hold as like responsible in bringing in those people, you know, to the schools? Like, is it the higher ups that are hiring? Like, how do we get the word out? How do they know? You know, how do we create change in that kind of platform?
2: Well, I do think we need to begin in, in allowing students to see that teaching is a valuable profession.
0: Mm-hmm. And I
2: know in high school, we do a lot of pathway work, but interestingly enough, we don't have education pathways.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah, we have all of these industries and all of these pathways, but we don't have a pathway where students may want to teach or be an educator. And so we are giving them the opportunities and internships and um, ways to see, you know, how they can get into the field of teaching. And if we did that, can you imagine in some of these urban schools, how the, the, you know, how it would change and how we would possibly have more people of color, you know, wanting to get a credential. And then that's the first step. And then the second step is have, being able to get a job because you know, that that equity in hiring is also important because I know that um, a lot of times certain teachers of color kind of lean towards certain districts um, because they just can't get into certain other ones. And so that's, that's a topic Boy. that I think is just, um, heavy and needs to be addressed, it with the be higher up. I'll just say, yeah, looking at hiring practices and then also providing pathways training for students, you know, at the high school, middle school level.
0: Right, you wanna make it so people of color feel comfortable coming to your school. Because yeah. they have the same exact, you know, intelligence that they're gonna give to the students. It's not like they're not gonna teach them, right? You know, so yeah, but, why is yeah. it so different?
1: And right. you also want to make sure that it feels accessible to everybody to be able to apply mm-hmm. to these districts. Because like, you want to make sure that it feels like I can go and apply to this place because I know that they hire people that look like me or they hire, yeah. they're right. going right. to right. hire, yeah, right. right, exactly.
0: That's wild though. Cause I really never, I guess, never thought, like that's probably why I never saw anybody really person of color. Cause I mean, I grew up in Burbank, which is predominantly white, you know, so. Mm-hmm. I'm not really gonna see anybody that looks like me, um, but I wish I had a person of color growing up because I feel like I think I would've voiced my opinion more or rose my hand a little bit more in class. or was more um, willing to ask like questions just to be like, just to suck everything in and not be scared of what's gonna come out of somebody's mouth or, you know, or, or have somebody in the classroom that's like an ally, right? Cause so when you have students in class that kind of like put another student down, about say it's like i don't know my hair sometimes you know i'll have crazy hair days but just like have a teacher that knows or like wants to understand you yes but it doesn't even have to be a person of color you know if a white teacher was to just educate themselves on these topics or maybe say this might be a different culture this is how they kind of work and you know what i mean i feel like teachers have to realize that they're not teaching to one just culture, I guess, you know, they're teaching to everybody. It's a broad span and not everybody learns the same. So you have to just work on that. And how do, how do teachers work on that coming forward? You know, what well, are some steps that you think they should
1: do? Like going back to your original question, which was like, how, in what ways can we make sure that we like eliminate racism in the classroom? I believe um, we have to start making sure that we decolonize our instruction in a way, like the the content that we are teaching, it is very Eurocentric and the way that we deliver it is extremely Eurocentric. And I went to this really, really great conference for choral music educators recently and somebody gave a really great talk about how we teach these songs from different languages, but then we don't talk about how they don't learn them off of the paper, they learn them by rote or they learn them by call and response. And so there are, dif- there are ways that we can differentiate our instruction in all of the classrooms that makes it more accessible to all learning types and then there are ways that we can make sure that we are highlighting i don't know like highlighting black composers more than just during black history month you know like we should be highlighting composers of all shades and sizes and from all things all throughout the year as opposed to just eurocentric composers so yes somewhere around there
3: yeah these we we see the stories of like our you know minoritized groups and we see You know the stories of asian americans and african americans but they're always and you know latino or hispanics we see it's like a footnote it's like this is the big event and these are our founding fathers and our founding fathers looked a certain way and then let's Mm -hmm. tell you this you know one side story about this african-american group and so one of the things that is so interesting is that because when i teach history is the fact that we have um it's like, a, there's like a separation of these like entities, like there's, it's not a recognition that as long as, you know, almost for about as long as Europeans have been in United States, before that, of course, you know, in our indigenous population, but African-Americans have been here, you know, um, Hispanic or Latino has been here. And so the fact that we have all these different populations in the United States and yet their story is not a part of American history is just, it's, it can be mind-boggling like the fact that i have to like there's a concerted effort that has to be made to make sure that these stories of these modern um of these different groups are are included in our history and it's 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 and i'm doing the work so i don't know Mm -hmm. if every educator in who teaches history across california in our you know vastly different school districts all over you know all over the state If or even all over the country, but just all over the state if they're making that effort Or if they even think to make the effort because their population may only look like them And so they don't even think to say okay Let's talk about other group of people because you know, not everyone is uh, is just one population of people in this one school district and so I don't know. It's just you have to have that you want to make an effort you want to kind of care You want to just think to yourself like, you know, if I really want to be the change, you know, the whole, you know, the cliche statement, the change you want to change see in the, in the world. Yeah. Like, how do you do, how do you, how are you that change? Like, how are you really going to make sure that, you know, people aren't being treated differently because of, you know, what they look like and the color of their skin versus, you know, the actual action that they, they do.
0: Yeah. And to put a point on that, like you said, you want it to be like a broad thing. Cause why is when it's black history month, that's really only when you learn about black history. Also when it's, when you're bringing the Holocaust up, why is it only like that moment you're learning about the Holocaust? Why, why did they make it an event in schools? Like, you know what I mean? Like there's always an event, like let's go to the Holocaust museum or, but, that, but I'm like, but then the rest of the year you forget that there are people, you forget that they have a history too, or like, that, like they created, you know what I mean? It's just like, or a black history, they, they like scope over it. They're like slaves, they came here. Oh, they got their independence. No, people, there's June, Juneteenth. You know how many people just figured that out?
1: Right. You know, it was and amazing. Like, <laughs> it, was, it was really cool to see.
0: <laughs> it's wild to me that, that I mean, luckily, you know, I I did have like people growing up, like my dad's side of the family, they would say stuff. But if you you never have that, you're not gonna you're not gonna know. And that's right. like your own history. And you don't even know about it. You're just saying what they taught you in school, and you're taking what the textbook says for value. And that's another thing. How do we how do we make textbooks better? How do we include everybody? You know, who are these people writing the textbooks?
1: Right. It's about well, the colonizing research and stuff.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm really. Um, I have been so impressed with my district. Yes, it's, I'm going to give them a shameless plug because. Um, Someone had just decided, um, and I know her name and I'm going to mention it, but to create a reading summer program for teachers and people who were wanted to be involved in learning and also creating a reading list for um, adults in, in our district and also for students when they come back so that teachers can have a catalog to look to, to um, start to talk about these things, you know, to get ready for what is going to have to be dealt with back when we go back to school in September. There are going to be things that need to be taught and explained about this whole movement, um, what's going on with the movement, why it began, um, from all levels. Um, There are questions that need to be answered. And so now we have this great database of books that um, teachers can go to to say, oh, okay, my kids are asking questions. Oh, we went over this civil rights, but it's not enough in the history book. We can go pull these um, additional books you know, to just open it up some more because that's gonna be needed. And so I really think that that's the kind of thing that we need. We need someone to, districts need someone to jump right in and say, hey, let's get this going. Let's get these answers, um, these questions answered for adults first, and then they can answer questions for the students. Mm
0: -hmm. But just like you said, students are gonna have questions when they come back. Mm -hmm. So how should teachers or just, honestly, the community in general of a student or just a younger, the younger generation comes up to you and asks you, what's going on? How do you communicate with them? How do you show them or teach them the history?
1: Honestly? Well, to be,
0: co- oh, I'm sorry.
1: Oh, I was just gonna say, honestly, teach it honestly. That's all I got. <laughs>
2: One way is to be informed. For instance, so in our reading, um, summer reading, One of the books is bias. One is about abolitionists. One is about white fragility. So we have these teachers they're going to be reading all summer and they're going to be informed at least from that aspect. And then also from looking in the mirror and just realizing their own biases, um, their own ways that they are fragile. And I'm saying that from the perspective of a Caucasian teacher because most of them are in our district. And so I'm very proud that they're going to be Caucasian teachers who really know how to be an ally, really know what that means, and not um, it just being, well, I have friends who are Black. But no, really an ally, and and I'm an informed ally.
0: That uh, I have friends that are Black. That one. We've all heard that one. You know, like, oh, I know because I have a friend that's Black, but they don't actually, like, know anything. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? What what would you do if you heard a kid in class say that? Or like, you know, like how how do you get them to listen to you? That's one of the hard things I think about educating the next generation is getting them to listen and then retain. Yeah. You right? have to
3: stop. It's I know we have I, you know I'm always stressed out and I'm sure you the you all are too about this schedule that we have to have. Like by the time I get to this point in time, I have to make sure I hit this standard. I Mm -hmm. did this. I taught this subject. The kids know this, but I, especially when, when COVID-19 first showed up and before we got out of school, the kids were coming back to school with, you know, miss, you know, Asian this, or they do this and they Mm -hmm. do that. And I was like, "Mm, we're not even going to play this game. Let's go ahead and stop. Let's go ahead and let's have a real conversation and let's really get to the, to the root of the fact that you're saying things that is not based on it, on anything. It's not true. And I know you heard it from your parent and I know you heard it from somebody else in the community and you're just repeating the stuff that you hear. But before we go on and go anywhere else, let's go ahead and stop and make sure that you understand how what you're saying is wrong. And how what you're saying is hurtful, and how if I don't stop you and let you keep going on and saying what you have to say, um, it's going to kind of solidify your thoughts and solidify mm-hmm. your thinking, and you're not going to know that um, what you're doing is wrong. And so whether you know you're talking about COVID-19 or we're talking about the recent protests, same idea. I had to do with that, with, like just talk to the kids about the history of you know rebellions in in the United States and like what like the consistent theme that we saw. Uh, with all the different ones that showed up starting of course with the Boston Tea Party but mm-hmm. like like let's talk about destruction of property guys um, but <laughs> and so it's just you have to just be prepared to like stop and like uh, what stated before and just have that education and be ready to say what you need to say and I'm already developing like you know one of the big problems even though My students are all students of color, but they're Latino, but they like to say the N-word all the time because I think it's just a part, they're like, this is, you know, music and urban and culture and the hood. And I was like, I get what you're, you know, I, I see the world you're living in. However, absolutely not. And so I'm already trying to develop my lessons of, okay, let's talk about the history and let's talk about how it's not okay and why you shouldn't be using this language and da, da 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 And so you just have to be prepared. You have to be prepared to stop and know that you glossing over it and saying, oh, that's not right. And then keep teaching. It's just not, it's not gonna help anything. It's not gonna change anything. Like it's the hard yeah. work is, you know, stopping and being ready and prepared for, you know, that 40 minute conversation and hearing all the craziness the kids are going to say, and being ready to say, let's, you know, let's really talk about what we can do to really change it up. Because the kids, like, you know, what, like was stated, the kids are interested. They really want to know. They This is happening, you know, at least for my students, because we're in South Los Angeles, it's in their neighborhood. It's right down the street from where they, you know, where they live. And so they see it, they hear it, they're experiencing it. And so... They're, they're really interested in trying to figure, in, to, try to figure out what exactly is happening.
1: Yeah. And to Shelly's point, like, I have to stop as an educator so that way I can also be an advocate, right? So like, whether they're talking about an issue that's predominantly Black, or like when we were talking about COVID at the very beginning, I also had students talking about China this and Asian that, and I had to stop and we had to have that conversation. Even if I don't always have all of the right words, I have some of the right words. And if I don't stop, then that means that I'm co-signing what they're saying. That means that I'm not advocating for some other minority group or something along the way. So that way I can say like, hey, we don't talk about other people like that or X, Y, or Z. And that's so important.
0: No matter if you're teaching history or or music, you know, you are always gonna hear those comments right before school, like the class starts. I know like all the (laughs) students, like they kind of huddle and you're like, but you hear it, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. so it's a good thing that you're gonna just stop it and have an honest conversation it's like our work might not get done today but you know what you're gonna walk out if you're knowing something and Mm -hmm. it might it might not it's gonna be a hard conversation and you might like feel that because you know you never want a kid to like feel like insulted like in front of the class you know what I mean so -hmm. how do you also do that how do you make a student feel like it's a welcome environment even if they said something really offensive how as a teacher do you do something I will answer that, but I
2: wanted to go back to that question, that, that huge question you asked or about how to address the I have Black friends, because I'm not sure if we did. And I know mm. that I also taught U.S. history, and there were three words in the history books that I never saw, but I taught my students, and that was hegemony, paternalism, and tokenism. Mm. Because I think... Those words aren't talked about. And then when you hear someone say that, like, oh, I have friends who are Black. Well, okay. Are they your friend because they act like you? Because that would be hegemony and tokenism. Mm -hmm. And I hope that people
0: will look this up.
2: Or are they your friends because you want to save them? Because that would be paternalism. Or why are they your friends? And that's that's a question, I think, when someone says that statement, that's the question they ask them to make them Mm -hmm. think that, should you really be saying this? Or why? Or what does that mean? And so those are, those are important things to bring up. Because I think now, especially, we need to make sure that we're discussing those things. Because as we move towards the movement and everyone's involved, we really want change. we got to make sure it's done in a way where those things are not a part of it anymore. And to answer the question of how I address students saying inappropriate things. Um, I always try to bring out empathy, because and and remind everyone that we all have biases, no matter what race we are. I mean, we we have things preconceived notions about people um, that we just walk around all the time, and that's that's not specific, and that's not just because one group has experienced something. So I call it out. I mean, I'm gonna I'm right with Van. Call it out. Take a minute. Um, we're not going to finish the lesson today because we're going to address mm-hmm. this and call parents and make sure that you are making parents aware that you have this discussion in class um, because you know if they're getting that from parents and not, not that you're accusing parents, but the parents need to know what their child is saying at school and then what you're addressing at school. And I think that's an important part is to, in, to invite parents to sit at the table and discuss what their kids are saying or what their kids are feeling, Um, so that's how I would address a student making an inappropriate comment.
3: Mm. And it so depends. I'm oh, sorry, Joe. Sorry, Joe. Uh, <laughs> it depends on what you know. What t- part of the year you're in? Like, if mm. you hear a kid saying like some deeply problematic things in the and it's like the first two days of school, that's a sidebar conversation. Like, dude, what are you doing? Or hey, homegirl, what are you doing? But If it's like later on in the year and, you know, by then you should have already built that community in your school Your kids should already feel safe that they're, you know, they can say things they can try things There's not gonna, you know, they can fail at something and it's not going to be you know something that they're you know punished for and just know like this is an opportunity for you to get better this is the whole point of school like the school like yeah you're not perfect and you're not going to be and so you should feel safe enough in that classroom to say some really crazy stuff but you should also feel safe Mm -hmm. enough or just know enough that we care enough we love you enough that I'm going to tell you how that may not be okay and mm-hmm. how that statement is wrong, or how you know you're hurting someone' feelings, or you know whatever that happens to be, just depending on like what part of the school you're in, like how can you interact with people, or how do you interact with your students, and what relationships do you have with your students, and you know what type of point part of the year do you have you know where you're doing that so that you can have that real those real you know thoughtful and honest conversations with the students. Hmm. That's
0: a very good point. So we actually have a, a question from Fedeke Aparende, she says, have kids ever come in quoting Trump? And how do you handle that?
1: Yes, they do. But normally it's because he said something viral and so they're quoting it.
0: Twitter. Um, Normally, (laughs)
1: it's it's actually kind of easy to handle because the kids will normally know that it's, not know that it's farcical, but they are normally coming in with the, uh, oh my gosh, did you hear this type of expression? As opposed to, this is what I think is, as opposed to saying, this is what I think is fact because the president said so. Does that make sense?
0: And this is why I have so much hope for the next generation.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I still, I have students of color who are, or Latino students, because mostly Latino at my school, um, who have very conservative parents. Like, Mm -hmm. even though my students are in, or my school is in South Los Angeles, but because I'm in charter school, not all of our students are from our community. There's some from like a variety of that even then, some of the students who live locally, they, they still have conservative parents. And so, you know, I've had many conversations with students at 13, 14 years old, because even in middle school, they have their opinions about things. And they, you know, they come to school with it where we're just talking. We're just like having a full, like, it feels like adult conversations about like the economy and about like taxes and about like, you know, their like conservative values. And I'm like, you know, or about like, you know, like gender issues or like student, it, it is, it's, it's amazing really the conversation that we're having with the kids and what they come to school with, but you just have to like, you can't just shoo them away, but like, okay, I hear what you're saying and just like, whatever, like hear out their thinking, like, why are you saying that? What does that mean to you? You know, what does it mean if I say this to you, you know, what, like, what are you, what's, what is, what's your thinking? And why are you thinking these things? Just to really have those like, really honest conversations. Those are hard though. Like sometimes yeah. you get mad. Right? <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I
1: gotta step away.
3: Yeah, I've well, done that a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'll be honest with you. I'm very careful not to
2: discuss politics with students. I will let them share what they heard, ask them how they feel about it, encourage them to think for themselves, and then I move on because I feel that that's not my place to indoctrinate mm-hmm. them with how I feel about what Trump said or Trump as a president. That's not my place to do. So I, I generally do not give my opinion or um, discuss it. I will allow them to, but I stay away from politics. Um, I just talk about the facts and <laughs> in the history well, book. And I try not to, like, they don't know what my party is. I'm not asking mm-hmm. them what their party is. I will help them register to vote but, um, and let them choose the party. Um, but for me, I'm, I'm very clear to, to
0: not do that. When you also, when you bring up voting, if you are teaching like a high school class, how do you get them excited to vote, you know? Wanting to I go out I tell when I
1: go vote. <laughs> like when I go vote, I'm, cause I'm really excited about it. My mom always took me to go voting. And <laughs> like, I got I, lied. Yeah, so, and like, you get a sticker, like that's the best part, you get a sticker. <laughs> But no, I last time I went voting, I was the first person to go voting in my precinct. And so I got to do all of these new special things that I didn't even know about. So when I went into my school um, that day, I told every single class about how much fun I had voting and like how if they are 17, I can help them pre-register to vote. If they are 18, I can get them registered to vote, and then reminding them how important it is that like they always feel like they don't have a say in things. They always mm-hmm. feel like the adults are making the decisions. Well, voting once you get the right to vote, like that is you getting to have a say in what you, what decisions you want to ha- be made. So I want them to um, invest in it. And so I try and make it as fun and exciting as possible.
0: Yeah, I still remember the first time I voted was for Obama. Yeah, same, <laughs> same. They will always have a special place in my heart, you know? But yeah, I, I, I never talked about voting in school. You never talk about those kinds of things until you know your mom's calling you and going, did you vote yet? Come on, mm-hmm. go to vote, you know? Yeah. Well, so- I taught
2: US history, and so um, I it was on my syllabus that I would be registering kids to vote, as that's a lesson. Yes. It's a lesson. So it's on the syllabus, you give the parents a chance in the beginning of the year, they have a problem, oh, I don't really want you working, helping my kids to register to vote. I never had a problem, but my, my, my kids knew 11th grade, parents knew you're registering to vote this year if you're 16 and above and so it was just a part of my curriculum what i did and so they just didn't know <laughs>
0: you said you want to pass just kidding <laughs> 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 registered um so they actually we were pretty excited yeah but laurie for you Um, Susan Wright actually said, can you please repeat those three categories? And then maybe can you like explain them a little bit more? Oh, yes, yes. Hegemony. So hegemony
2: is where a dominant race or um, in a culture indoctrinates the minority race. For instance, a good example would be back when the Spanish um, came and they decided that they were going to make all of the Native Americans um, Catholic. That's an example of hegemony. Oh, these, these people don't have a religion. They don't have a faith. They don't have spirituality. So we have to go around and, and build all of these um, missions and convert them. So that's hegemony. You know, we have the best culture. So do things like that. Um, paternalism is, well, we want to help you. Oh, my gosh, you're, you're, you're a minority and you need help. We're going to do it this way. Let me tell you what you need and then let us do it. That's paternalism. Instead of inviting that person to the table, asking them what they need, and then mm-hmm. providing whatever you can based on what they tell you they need. You don't tell them what they need. So pater- paternalism is a majority race doing that in the way of saying, oh, I'm helping you, when you're really not. And then tokenism is basically when you choose a, um, I always call it cleanse minority the one that that's acceptable oh they do things like us, so we'll invite them in to to the party or you know they we can be friends with them or we'll hire them because you know they they act the way we act and we don't have to think outside of the box for them to be around we don't have to get to know them because they just act like we act so they're the token black i know you've heard that before mm-hmm. the, or the token whatever but it's a token because they fit into the category that the majority race is comfortable with.
0: I hope that explains it, okay. And those are so important, and you said you never saw them really in books. No. But you see them happen time and time again in history.
1: In these stories that we teach. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You
0: know, but the thing is, I do believe like you learn from your history and you get better, but the thing is you're not showing all the history. Right. You're not teaching the bigger picture, you're just teaching what you want them to see. So then you're not learning from things that you actually should be learning from. And I can tell you,
2: it's amazing to see real allies because I can, I am blessed to have real allies in my life. When you explain these, these things to them and they had no idea, oh my God, I've been thinking that way. Oh my God, I have done that. The aha moments are amazing because a lot of times they're done unconsciously. And so I just think that that's a part of it is just clarifying and bringing these terms out so that they can be discussed and done away with.
0: Yes. We actually have a question pertaining to voting um, from Gary Mathis. He says, what do you say to students who say my vote doesn't really matter?
3: My big push this year, even though know, my kids are younger, and but I hear it already, that conversation like, oh, why do I have to vote? Why should I vote? Um, my big push this year is, or this next school year is going to be talking about like local government and what, how they can participate in local government. Because so I know like for a lot of my students, like the federal government and even state government feel so far away because, you know, distance-wise it is far away. But they, when you talk about, you know, like school, I mean like streets and lights and like, um, like local things that they can actually participate in, I think that's when, I when that could be really powerful. Like, yes, the federal government is a for real thing and it's, there's real ramifications for it, um, but what can we do at the local level to really like start to like okay. do those little mini steps to make sure that the kids can you know, be successful. And so, and they, you know, the kids are already participating in high school. I'm sure the high school teacher can speak to this, that they already see students who are, you know, participating in their local government and they're already mm-hmm. like volunteering and like um, interning with different people. And so that's my my big push for sure this school year. And I have been lax on I've been you know so focused on you know the Constitution, um, but to really push the kids to see what they can do locally. So when you say like in
0: your community, what kind of things can kids do in their community? Like some examples?
3: There's like a lot of different programs that. They have in South Los Angeles, and so they have a like an academy that is in conjunction with the local police station, where it's of the students sign up for, and they you know participate in like the academy, and also they do like community work. Um, my middle school has a club that's called um, CASA, and the whole organization is about you know educating the students, and then they take that education and they you know send it to their parents, and so there's things like they've learned about. Um, and I and I don't know the exact word for it, but um, when there's not enough like like produce and grocery stores in their neighborhood that provides them with like fresh food, um, they talked about. I think this year their their push was, or even last year was voting. So they were talking about voting issues and registering the parents and and, di- and how to participate with voting. Um, and I know they've also had several visits to like the police stations, but there's so many organizations. Um, I, and I speak predominantly of South Los Angeles, there's so many organizations that are available for the kids, whether it's the after school group or, you know, just local community organization that they can participate in.
0: So you said the police station. I'm going to throw a big question. I know, I know. Oh, no. I know when I said it. No. <laughs> <laughs> so because you say that, how should not just teachers, but as a community, because, right, we're taught, you know, the police come to protect you and everything yeah. that we're seeing social media wise. You know, I personally don't believe all cops are bad. My father was a cop, but there are bad cops. But how do you educate them to, you know, not like necessarily want to act out or um, just have a good relationship with cops when they see them or try to not be scared? You know what I mean? Like, there's now, I feel like, because now my cousins, I know that some of them have a, a fear, you know, like, I'm gonna be next, but how do you talk to the kids? You know, what do you, what do you say? I remember, um,
2: well, I was, I've been out of the classroom for about three years um, until this past year, but I remember having a conversation with students and um, teaching them about their Fourth Amendment rights and just the awe that they said, wait, they can't make me sit on the curb. I said, no, they have to have, a reason for that and they have to state that reason to you and someone some of them 14 15 16 had already had those experiences more times that they could remember and so um i think just by me helping them understand that they have rights i think it helped um that year i, I believe that you know they ended up really feeling a, a little bit better that at least they had a voice and then also um There is a program that comes into our school district called Why'd You Stop Me? And it really teaches a lot um, about just all of that, you know, the rights and the cops to be concerned about and the ones not to. And then another thing is I was really fortunate enough to, the Long Beach uh, Police Department is very intentional about coming into the classrooms and into the schools and talking to the students, allowing them to ask them questions, to say, we don't want you to fear us we know that we have some bad cops in our in our police department and we are finding them i had our deputy superintendent or i mean our, our deputy um uh police chief come in and do a circle community circle one year at my high school and this year i had the chief of police come to my school and do a circle and i know it made a big difference because the kids came up to me afterwards like wow he's normal oh wow he's from east l.a oh so he knows what it's like to be stopped because he shared his story so I think it's important to have community partnerships. Um, it's really important for schools to have those important partnerships, like Shelly said, and so that the kids can have an avenue and somewhere to go um, and to just feel like they're safe.
3: It's hard to, because it's the ownership of, like the kids have to feel safe, but what is it that's making the kids feel safe? And so we yeah. really have to, also think about like beyond like our schools, like how do like those communities, how do our community members, cause they're all a part of this community that we live in, right? Like how do they know, and they're doing what they're supposed to do to make sure that the kids don't feel fearful that They're, you know, they have to have the ownership of it. They have to take responsibility for, whether it's the history or the culture or these, you know, bad cops that are there and they're doing, you know, things, but the good cops can't do anything about it. Like how are, like, what are they actively doing? Like I should, if I am being a victim of this or if I'm being mistreated because of these systems that are in place, how do we make sure that these systems are no longer in place and that they're not being used to treat me differently? And so it's really hard, like, you know, you talk to kids, yeah, about your fourth amendment rights and those different, you know, the things that you're allowed to do. Like you have these first amendments, you can, you know, do this, but don't do that. You know, you, these are mm-hmm. things you can do, but like, how do you take the ownership of their own? Like I'm being mistreated. So it's because I'm being mistreated, how do I not be mistreated? Like, no, like who's mistreating you? And why are they mistreating you? And like, how do you change that? It's weird.
0: And when you all talk about knowing your rights i knew for the longest time i feel like honestly if my dad didn't tell me my rights i wouldn't have known you know Mm -hmm. like i remember he would tell me certain things like if you do this the cops gonna give you a ticket for this like just getting those like little insights just because he was a cop but i feel like for the longest time in school i never got told like if you get stopped this is what you do or these are your rights like You don't have to open the car door for them. Like they can't force you out of a car. You know what I mean? Those kind of things like, Mm -hmm. but kids don't know that. So when do you think is the right time to start talking about their rights?
2: Well, I did in my U.S. history class and that was 11th grade. So approximately 16 to 17 years old. And I know the Why'd You Stop Me program comes in to high schools. They might even come into middle schools. So that would be 11 through 18.
3: Yeah, started early, because I know even in my own personal life, I've had, like, sneaky people, and, like, sneaky, I don't say sneaky people, but, you know, police officers, like, oh, I just want to, you know, come and check to see if everyone's okay. Like, mm-hmm. and in your middle school brain, you're like, oh, I'm going to let this police officer in my house, but there's no reason for, it. like, that's not legal. Like, you, mm-hmm. like, and the fact that I don't know that at such a young age is problematic. Right, like because you should you view them as a protector. Yeah, you view them as protecting. You don't realize, like, okay, this these are the rules, and this is what this is what they're doing, and this is why they're, you know, saying, oh, we're just here to make sure everyone's okay. No one called you. I know no one called you and you showing up to my house. And so like, no one used the phone. I'm here by myself. Like, why are you here? And so they'll use like these strategies sometimes. And I get that they're, you know, I understand that, you know, the whole idea, you know, seeing crimes, popping crime and, and everything, but it just leaves a bad taste in your mouth. If we're not, if the kids at, you know, if when a police officer came to my house at, I feel like I was like, I had to be early middle school, like so maybe 11. And they are like, oh, someone called and we want to, you know, we want to make sure everyone's okay. No one called you. I know that because I'm by myself. So, you know, what are you, like, how is that okay? Like, how is that a justify your actions? And the, if I had known that I did not need to let them in the house like that and been adamant, like, don't let nobody in your house. if You know, like that conversation, mm-hmm. how much more, like now that story wouldn't have been, it's now it's a fearful story for me. It's not a powerful story. It's like Mm -hmm. someone hurt me and like came into my environment and did me an injustice and versus like, Oh, I stood up for my rights. And so we have to really make sure the kids know, you know, even like, yeah, my niece is like 10 and we, she already, we drive around. She's like, that person got pulled over auntie. He don't look like he did anything. I was like, maybe he didn't. I don't know. But I, I like the fact that she's aware of it already. I like the fact that this 10 year old, actually she's nine when she said it, knows that somebody might be mistreated because of what they look like. It may not be because they did something. Mm -hmm. And also I'm also very sad about it too, but I'm also very happy.
0: (laughs) You know, I've I've definitely seen through everything going on that younger generations are, are realizing, you know, the differences I feel like because growing up as a kid in kindergarten or preschool, you know, you don't look at color. Your friend is your friend. And when do we start going away from that? You know what I mean? Like, when do we start seeing our friends are different than us? So, like, what like what switches? Like, I can I, I don't know. I, I look at kids and I'm just like, they're so joyful and happy. And they're just kids. You know what I mean? And then the older you get, like, just... I don't even they're know. Still
1: just, they're still just kids. Like even in high school, like even my seniors, they're still just kids. They're still figuring it out. Shoot, I'm 26, I'm still a child. What?
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes, you are, I'm on the- <laughs> I, 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 I will co-sign that. <laughs> <laughs> you are a baby. <laughs> I'm gonna put you in my pocket.
0: No, <laughs> <Aw>, thanks. <laughs> just told you age, man. Just- <laughs> oh,
1: yeah, whatever. <laughs>
0: What's interesting is um
2: i I love what social media is doing right now, and we're in a really special time in our in our um world where social media is teaching good things and so I saw a video of a young white um young lady she must have been maybe eleven or twelve, and her parents were just saying all oh, this racist stuff, and she was combating them with statistics and facts and. Oh, I saw that. <laughs> so foolish. And I was so proud of her. And I said, who was this young lady's teacher? Who was the people, who were the people who just gave her all of the facts? And that's what we gotta do. I think when teachers are raising people, we're raising these kids right along with the parents. We have to give them a counter argument to what they might hear from home. And we got to start it as young as possible. We Mm got to introduce books about Harriet Tubman, you know, and what she did and things like that for the, for the Caucasian students to see so that when they may hear things from their family, they go, no, no, that's not true. No, you're wrong. (laughs) Even the parents, just like that young lady did, she did an amazing job. And so I think we have some work to do and we, in some ways, they're not kids anymore, especially the. Our COVID-19 babies and our George Floyd babies when they come back they're going to have PTSD you know they're going to have some trauma and we're going to have to really address that and not see them as babies or kids anymore but kind of seasoned with what we've dealt with in 2020 so we got to right. start telling them start telling them the truth
0: I mean what else can we do when do you go- when you brought up um, COVID and when they, keep, keep saying when they come back.
2: Yeah. You know, I keep yeah. thinking
0: about how much all of the parents are going to appreciate you all so much more. <laughs> because I've definitely seen some of them be like, child, get my, get her out, get her out of here. You know what I mean? Like, they really realize how undervalued, like, you guys do so much work for them and they don't know.
2: Yeah.
0: You know? 'Cause you mm. you're you're teaching them, like you said, you're teaching them how to be like better human beings. You're teaching them how to be educated, how to fend for themselves in the world. And then we're you're also like, providing child care. And then you're <laughs> That's say that. I found out this year. We're providing child care. Yeah. And then you're yeah, you honestly are. And I yeah. just want to say that. For you I encourage teacher out there that I appreciate you guys.
3: Yeah, I encourage Thanks. all the parents who appreciate us to write their local government and their legislature and their state where we receive a lot of our fundings mm-hmm. and let them know how valuable we are. <laughs> so, because they're yes. trying to
1: get rid of some of our funding. So, you know they are. Yeah, it'd be <laughs> nice to keep it.
0: Please, if you want your <laughs> child care. <laughs> You want your kid in school you're longer.
3: I know. We're <laughs> <I'm laughs> keeping it a, a nanny.
0: Like, <laughs> Why are schools so underfunded? Is that it's a is great? That's a great, that's a great <laughs> question. Okay. You're still People, trying to figure that out. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's hard
1: because like you, you don't wanna say that you don't wanna say that people don't value education because it's proof that we do value education. The fact that education costs so much money post high school shows that people put some type of value on education even yeah. if it's only a monetary value. So um it's hard to understand why education funding is hard to come by or why it's getting cut because it's a necessity. So yeah. I, I wish I had an answer, but I don't know. I
3: know, maybe they don't value teachers. I don't I don't yeah. maybe it's like Maybe it's the maybe that's the thing, like they think we're just maybe that's what it is. Maybe they think we're just taking care of these kids. It's like, oh, like these, you know, this is all we oh, do. You know, I heard
2: for, a, a teenager say they were about to graduate and they were like, what they wanted to do. And they said, Well, I can always be a teacher as a last resort,
1: right?
0: Yeah, and I said, oh, wait, how much
1: school you have to go through. A a last was my resort?
0: first choice, do you realize yeah. we have the same student loans as doctors and lawyers right I have
2: three back i have two I last
3: last like this is not a real thing i'll right. <laughs> go get another one to be a teacher it's like no honey
2: we are not a last resort
3: you can yeah. think of a we're a first
1: choice yes
3: yeah, so i think that's what it is it's like what does that whole say like those who can't teach like no i could do it and i'm teaching you how to do it because that's how good i am at it and right. so period it's like that's like that's the thing, and so it's yeah. I think we're just not seen as a, a valuable group of individuals, which is you know really crazy because almost every single person you know, except for those like really like uh, yeah, almost every single person has a teacher that either affected them positively or negatively and made them want to you know prove them wrong or you know yeah. positive like they pushed me to do my best. Like every person has a teacher mm-hmm. that they can point back to, and for us to be Literally in, in everyone's life, and the fact that they're like, oh yeah, you know, that's great. Here's this mm-hmm. NBA player, let's pay him, you know, twenty right. <laughs> million dollars or something.
0: Hi. Somebody commented. Her name is Michelle Montgomery.
3: She that's said, my mom. Is it? Oh, mom? <laughs> <laughs> my mom. <laughs> Shout out, to mom.
1: She she's also a teacher. So,
3: we love you. She said, we fund what we value. We value entertainment and sports more. Mm. It's like, wasn't it a a Dave Chappelle skit that had the teachers getting drafted like NBA players? Yes. Oh, that's like literally one of my favorite ones. I love that.
0: Oh, wow. But it's so true, though. You know, as a little kid, they they think of like, I'm going to be in the NBA or, you know what I mean? Like these big, like, like so, entertainment kind of value, but like Lori said, like why why don't they have like internships and stuff for teachers? Why why can't kids get the same interest? And that's why I think well, it also needs to change. That's why I mentioned we need to have an education pathway in high schools,
2: where it just like we have the pathway of law and medicine. We need an education pathway where we're. We're finding the kids who want to teach or want to be educators and uh, we are grooming them and getting them ready to get into um, our credential programs while they're simultaneously getting their bachelors and things like that. And just kind of making that an option for them in high school, whereas right now it's not surprisingly. But yeah, something I'd like to change if I can.
1: I like that idea.
0: I hope so. so. Student, like kids are always learning, right? They're always listening when you don't think they are. Yeah. We've learned this. They'll repeat anything back to you and you'll be like, I did not say that to your face. <laughs> um, but how is a community, like how in the home do you think that people should teach love instead of teaching hate? Or maybe look at themselves a little bit more before they open their mouth around the next generation and have them thinking what they're thinking?
1: how huh um i know that's hard because we can't dictate what people do inside their homes yeah you know like i can't i can think and feel however i want but a child is going to walk into a house and that house is going to be whatever it is it's going to act however it does it's going to think however it does it's going to move however it does um my responsibility is in the classroom because that's the only place that i'm allowed to have control and my responsibility is working with a human in the classroom so that way they go into their community and hopefully affect it positively. I don't know if they're gonna be able to affect their home positively, but they can affect the places outside of their home in a positive way. And then hopefully that community will start to reflect on the home eventually.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, very good. On that. that was good. I second oh, thank that. You. Thank
0: you. <laughs> very good.
1: Thank
0: was, you. Like, so
1: <laughs> you are like I know good answers. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm over here thinking, yeah, he's 26, but he has good answers. Thank you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I already know you're I, Real I already know and met some of your children van. They always say you drop knowledge. So, oh, I, I already know. <laughs> no, but um so we're going to actually close it out, but Oh. I, <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yes, we can
1: honestly really to
0: everyone. We, we can
1: talk for a
3: while. <laughs> <We're> happy hour. <laughs> we really
0: could. Honestly, you know I can because you all bring knowledge to this crazy world that we live in. And I really just value all of you. I really do. Oh, because thanks. you're so well-spoken and you're so well-educated. And I just know that when kids walk into your classroom that they all will walk out a better person. Oh and that's what God. i hope every teacher does you know i hope every teacher has a kid walk in and walk out better
1: you right, know what right. i mean just that's like my goal.
0: yeah makes it all worth it that and happens. also y'all are doing everything i couldn't because i don't know if i could be in a classroom with all those
1: students <laughs> no. listen, listen they ain't that bad i, I know
0: they're kind of cute sometimes
1: <laughs> they smell a little bit but they ain't that bad really? <laughs>
0: Gotta teach them better, man, come on now.
1: I'm working (laughs) on it.
0: So to close it out, I just wanna ask you guys, what are your hopes for the next generation?
3: That they're better. They're better than Mm -hmm. the generation before. Like Mm -hmm. whatever whatever better is, and hopefully better is the better I think it is. (laughs) I hope they're better than the generation than before.
1: That they continue to be loud and boisterous and shake the table as much as possible and create positive change. Like they already are doing, even when they don't have the power to vote, they're making a difference. So.
2: And I hope that they actively listen and really, really continue as Van said, you know, the work that they've already started. And I'm very impressed with the generation that I see even now, um, and so I just hope that that continues in that build and that they are much better than the generations before.
0: I see it. I have hope. Yeah, you know, they're already making things that don't mess with the Gen Z's. I know.
1: <laughs> period.
0: I've seen that out there a lot oh on social I know. media. Don't yeah, I, I've
3: seen Z. it too. As a millennial, I have seen it too.
1: <laughs> yeah, Period. Don't mess yeah. with them.
0: Well, thank I you all. That. For I
3: yes. Did. Thank you all for
0: coming on so much. And thank you everybody for watching, episode three. Keep coming back every Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We're gonna have more panelists on talking about topics that need to be talked about. You know, we're not shying away from anything. You know, if 2020 has brought anything, it's brought some wisdom. And hopefully everybody gets educated and wakes up because we've all had time in quarantine. (laughs) So, (laughs) this this is the year, you know? Everybody, that 2020 vision, Everybody asked for it when the new year came. Here it is.
1: Oh, period.
0: <laughs> thank you all for coming and thank you everybody for watching. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Bye bye.